What is going on? This is Michael Hacker with the Hacker Outdoors podcast. Today's episode, Michael tries to talk Joey into bird watching. Brian shares his winter trout fishing tips. And then Michael goes on a rant about people not handling fish correctly. If you like what you hear, please give us a thumbs up and a review. And without further ado, and we are 10 minutes in here. Hey guys, how's it going? Going good. Living the dream. Living the dream. I like it. Um, so we're, we're a day late. We're going to be releasing this today. This is Saturday, January 16th. You know, a lot of things kind of going on in the world. Um, I figured today, you know, I, I created somewhat of a calendar of things that we're going to talk about. Look at that little puppy, man. <laughs> oh, how cute. Um, a little bit of a calendar of things that we're going to talk about coming up, but um, there were a few things that kind of hit my radar this week that I, I wanted to bring up and wanted to talk to you guys about it and see your kind of feedback on that. Um, first and foremost, Joe, I know you've been trying to get outside. I did happen across this. I don't know where Great Falls, Maryland is and how far it is from you, but a rare brilliantly colored bird was spotted at a Maryland park and it's drawing massive crowds. It's a... Yeah, a color. Uh, it's a colored male painted bunting, um, and it is a beautiful bird. I will link to it in the show notes. Uh, if those of you who are not birders want to see it, it looks like a skittle. All the colors of the skittles mixed together. So, so God, Great Falls is either in Western Maryland or Northern Maryland by me. I, I forget. Uh, Great should, Falls should, might be near me. I'll look it up. Actually, unfortunately, I don't have my computer in front of me right this second. Due to unusual circumstances, it's always unusual. <laughs> Life's unusual, isn't it? Um, well, it looks like Great Falls is actually not too far from Potomac. Okay, so not far from you, Bethesda, Silver Spring, that's like really Rockville, nice. west that's and a, south. It's very urban area. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Down by where I, I fish, kind of near the Potomac. Yeah, near the, yeah. by the Virginia border. That's exactly where it is. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, so I figured, hey, Joe, while you're kind of stuck inside preparing for your Jan your February uh, fishing tournaments, why don't you get outside and go see some birds, man? Yeah, I gotta look into that. I mean, I just, to me, great. That that's like smack in the urban area. Uh, kind of crazy. They're seeing that bird there, you know. Yeah, so it's apparently pretty rare. Um, Brian and I were talking this week and we were talking about the kind of the minimalist fishing, um, idea, right? Kind of if sometimes when we go fishing, we bring entirely way too many things. Um, Joe and you and I were talking about how, you know, maybe you should do something and some sort of video where you can kind of show your bags and how you organize everything. Um, but that got me thinking if I could only fish with one lure or fly, every time I went out, regardless of the species of fish, fish I was targeting, it would absolutely be a black woolly booger. Like 100%, that would be my go-to. Now, I, I see Brian's nodding his head there. Um, Brian, would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't, the, the movement on a black woolly booger has, for me at least, has caught smallmouth, largemouth, sunnies panfish you know every trout species so far and that i've seen so far at least and uh yeah i could see it working everywhere and i'm actually curious how it would work in, in the ocean we should, we should try it uh this this upcoming spring and uh for stripers 
you you read my mind on that one. I I think it would work for that, quite honestly. And you know, I've caught pike on it. I've caught carp on it. I've all the fish you've named. There is not a single species so far that I haven't been able to catch on that on that fly. So, um, I. I it would be cool just to head out. I know like the Holton car movement, right? You're out there with a rod um, with no reel, of course, and the real Tenkara enthusiasts go out there with just a single spool of line and the, you know, one or two flies and that's literally it. Now Tenkara flies are a little bit different than, you know, we'll call them Western flies, but uh, I would definitely go with a black woolly booger. I think regardless, uh, that's, you know, the, the go-to. Now, Joe, in, in your world, what would you use? Uh, mine would probably have to be a drop shot um, of the weedless variety. Uh, it just catches fish anywhere throughout the country with a roboworm. Um, green pumpkin color, probably. That's that that catches ask. them anywhere in the country, anytime, any place, you know, any time of the year, um, any condition, pretty much. I've caught them on. And it will catch all the species in the lake, you know, from bluegill on up to walleye and muskie will catch uh, it's just a flat out fish catcher and I, I like fishing it because you're fishing on like tackle and just makes it even more fun but it would definitely have to be the drop shot um, yeah you've converted me on the drop shot man I think uh, that's been when I do use my spinning rod that's you know I use that ultra light ugly stick and just you know it's so much fun. Of course, conditions considering, uh, you know, the really weedy, weedy lakes like you and I fished a couple times, Joe, it's just not, uh, not always a good time, but uh, it, it's definitely a go-to and I'd have to agree with that with my spinning. Well, once you get the, it tuned up, you know, there, there's different weights for different, there's different style drop shot weights for, you know, whether it be grassy or rock. And uh, once you get the grass set up dialed in, you, you can fish really heavy cover with it, surprisingly. Um, some people call it power shotting and it just, you know, so what a lot of pros throw and it just puts fish in the boat and it, it puts them in quick. Um, and like I said, I've, I've called catfish, snakehead, largemouth, smallmouth, perch, crappie. I mean, down the list, I've called it on that thing. And, you know, like I said, roboworm, green pumpkin variety. And I think you'd be good anywhere. Yeah, Brian and I know all about the green pumpkin. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the go-to. That is absolutely the go-to, man. Um, yes. So, you know, I, I frequent a lot of fishing um, forums, right? And I, I belong to a bunch of groups on Facebook and follow a bunch of people on Instagram, of course. Um, uh, we just created a Gab account, um, you know, in lieu of Twitter. And my nephews were saying we should probably get on TikTok. But as far as groups go, I, you know, I, I'm constantly seeing on these fishing forums um, pics of guys lipping fish, right? Like traditionally, you you think of catching um, bass and you lip the bass, right? And you see how big their mouth is, and it's just kind of the traditional photo that you're taking. Um, but in this particular photo, and in a lot of photo in the past couple of weeks, you know, these guys are lipping trout. And, you know, the comments on social media in general, they always tend to be hysterical, the, the responses to people, you know, everyone calling who and what a, a Karen, right? Um, but lipping, I, I, I don't 
necessarily agree with all the time. And I definitely don't agree with lipping trout fish and trout in general, I should say not trout fish. Um, Because one of the main takeaways I I get from this is people don't really know what it means to catch and release fish, right? Um, You know, and these guys aren't keeping them nine times out of 10. If you're catching the fish, I get it, right? Like it's your fish, you can do what you want to it if you're you're harvesting it. Um, I'd still say you'd wanna take care of it as best as possible before you dispatch the uh, poor creature. But, you know, if you're catching fish and you're intending to release it, you wanna make sure that they survive, right? And I saw this staggering figure. It was 9% of all caught and released stripers or rockfish die. And that's just for stripers. And just imagine how many stripers are caught every given season. And if that's the numbers for something that's so like researched on a fish so researched, imagine what it could be like on other species such as trout. So I've heard studies like that. And I can tell you for fishing tournaments, I mean, we don't have big die-offs like that. And I wonder if the striped bass, what plays into it is the amount of people keeping, you know, keeper size, because I mean, when I would stripe, striper fish, you know, that they weren't keeper size, they were out of the water with us for maybe two, three minutes and back in, not even that, probably less than that. You know, I've never seen big die-offs. And another thing is too, I mean, the bay this year, I mean, it's been hit I mean, tons of boats out there rock fishing and they say the population is just exploding down here. So I don't know. Sometimes I think some of those studies are a little wonky just from what I've seen, but. Well, that's, you know, from the NOA and, you know, a lot of the New Jersey in general. So as of January 1st, New Jersey, and it's actually up and down the Eastern seaboard because it's a migratory fish. We've changed the rules to say that it has to be an inline circle hook if you're using live bait. Now we're not live bait fishermen, typically speaking. Um, But, you know, there's some interesting studies that are out there. And of course the NOAA, you know, is doing a significant amount of research specifically around stripers and sharks and other migratory animals um, in the sea, of course. Um, But, you know, there's something to be said. Florida Fish and Wildlife, for example, said wounds may appear minor to anglers, but damage to gills, eyes, or internal organs can be fatal. If the fish is hooked deep in the throat or gut, research shows that it is best to cut the leader off at the hook and leave the hook inside the fish. Prolonged attempts to remove the hook often do more harm than good. They're also saying that in a study of mortality rate in snook, 24 snook were deep hooked. When we removed the hooks from the 12 snook and we left the hooks intact, intact and cut the leader in the other 12 snook, we found that the four of the 12 deep hooked snook died after the hooks were removed. None died when we simply cut the leader and left the hook alone. So I think that has something to, to seriously do with it. Um, you know, and I am a big proponent of using barbless hooks, generally speaking, um, just to get them out of my hands. I, and now, if, once again, if I'm keeping the fish, I, I'm not as worried. But just think if you don't catch a keeper size, what does that mean, right? Uh, you know, Brian, you and I have done a lot of fishing together over the years. And, uh, you know, I think when we first started, you know, we, we made the rookie mistakes, right? And, you know, I think that's, that's what it is that it, it comes down to is just not knowing exactly why it is. And a lot of the guys on the forums are really coming down on this, you know, circle hook thing saying that it's really imposing a problem to the, for them and to them for fishing. Um, and 
I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment. I think that anything that you can do, a circle hook is great for catching fish, in my opinion, because it goes exactly where you want it on the fish, right? And it creates an easier way to remove the hook. And then if you're even pinching those barbs down or you're, you know, doing a barbless hook, it makes your life even easier releasing that, especially as a catch and release fisherman. Um, but I thought those um, stats were a little, you know, staggering, um, you know, and taking away the ability to deep gut um, hook fish. Now, Joe, you, you know, tournament fishing, I think you guys do things a little bit differently. And I think, you know, the majority of bass that I've ever caught, I've never really had the issue of, of gut hooking fish. You know, I think maybe one out of hundreds of fish that I've hooked have ever been gut hooked. Um, but I think that the tip of actually just cutting the leader and leaving it in there, let it rot out, um, is always a good, good feedback. Um, yeah, that's what they say to do. And I've caught fish that still have hooks in them and they do rust out eventually. Um, but th there's also with bass, if they do get hooked down there past the pinchers, there's a way to safely unhook them too. You, you go in through the gill, like through the gills and you take your pliers to the gills, not touching the gill plates though. And if you just grab the hook and just roll it slightly, it comes right out without any real damage. Um, and that helps a lot too. But if, you know, if you ever get a case where there's one really deep, which doesn't happen very often, um, yeah, it's, it's best to cut it and leave it. But, you know, the biggest thing that will happen in bass fishing sometimes doesn't happen a lot. It seems like if a fish gets hooked in the tongue, that's pretty much like a death sentence if you don't get it back out in the, the water pretty quickly. Um, I have never seen that. Mm -hmm. if, if you hook one in the tongue and you put it in that live well, it, it's quite often you'll, you'll, you'll come back with a dead fish. Um, wow. it, it doesn't happen often, but, but it does. Like, you know, if you watch some of the pro fishing YouTubes, you'll hear them during the tournament say, oh man, that one's tongue hooked. I, I just got to let it go. Um, I don't know why it does that or, or what's the reasoning, but you know, that's, that's the one thing. But, but like I said, a lot of times if it's past the, like the crushers down there, when you look out in Bass's mouth with the crushers, you, you go through the gill with this the pair of pliers and you just roll it and it comes out really easy and um, doesn't really hurt the fish at all. And, and, and they've always been fine. I've had to do that a couple of times and no issues. Um, but see, like I know like FLW tracks, their, their, the, the rate of survival of their fish throughout the year. I think last year it was like 99.998% of fish that were caught survived. Um, <laughs> you know, live well treatments and how good live wells are nowadays. And, you know, for bass, it, it, it doesn't seem to really be doing a lot of damage to the population. Um, well, they're a bit hardier. And I you know, Brian, you, you were telling me a story earlier, right, about, you know, going with people that were lipping trout and you know i think trout are really more sensitive fish than a bass right um mm -hmm. and what is your go-to when you're catching trout like how do you how do you handle them safely I, I know there's the right way to do it and according to science at least but um what is your go-to way to even handle them do, do you net them yeah so you know in the best case scenario uh, you wouldn't even have to handle them. Um, most of the time, you know, like, like the best trout fishermen you'll see, they'll, they'll catch fish. It'll be barbless hook. They'll bring them in. 
they'll wet their hands and before they eat, they won't even take it out of the water in the water they'll just cup them with their hand and somehow get the hook out of their mouth you know and, and on the fish will be gone but uh you know the the safest way for let's say the normal weekend warrior fisherman that's gonna you know go out to whatever trout streams local to them they they say that rubber net um and wetting hands and least amount of time out of the water possible um there's a few other things you know like they um you know, temperature of the air, temperature of the water, those play a big part in it as well. Um, so if it's, if it's over a certain temperature, I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but if, if the water's over a certain temperature and the air's over a certain temperature, you shouldn't be trout fishing. Um, and, you know, let's face it, at that point anyway, we'd be going after bass or, you know, ocean fishing for, for flounder anyway. So, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But, um, you know, that, that's kind of the basis. Uh, so, you know, wet, wet your hands before you touch fish and keep the fish out of the water as well as little time as possible. And, you know, more, more times than not, if it's the air's cool and the water's cool, the fish is going to survive. Yeah, yeah, I've never flipping trout. I've always seen people, when they catch trout, hold them, like, both hands in the water, kind of. Lipping well, the trout, kind of. Yeah. It's strange. silly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that, Joe. Uh, you know, and, and Brian, I know that, you know, there's, there's a whole water temperature list on when you should do it right so it's like um 77 is the upper limit of a trout survival um that's 77 mm. degrees fahrenheit um temperature which anglers should not consider trout fishing is 68 degrees so when the water temperature hits 68 that's pretty much you know stop fishing all in all um it it lipping trout i i, I will never understand i mean there's really look at those wild men go um, <laughs> um, but you know, that's, that's really, when I say 68, I'm saying browns and rainbows. I think brook trout tend to be a little bit more temperature sensitive. You know, some, some people, you know, from what I'm reading, it's, you know, 65, they become a little bit more stressed, um, in the summertime here in the Northeast though, like target other species, like it's yeah. not worth doing it. I, I met a guy down at, uh, the South branch of the Raritan river and he was telling me he, he fishes there year round. And I had asked him, I said, well, why? And he's like, well, it's, you know, in a gorge enough, right. That the temperatures seem cool enough. And I said, well, I still, I don't necessarily feel good about that. I know in our early days of trout fishing, we would go out and we would fish year round for them. But, you know, with the advent of the, you know, this information online now, right? And these resources that didn't exist when we first started trout fishing, you know, we now know like that is not a good idea to do that. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of maddening. Um, the other thing that I see that really kind of drives me nuts is um, people taking photos with fish, right? Like, and we talked about this uh, a little bit a couple episodes ago, right? Where it's like you're struggling to do all these things and actually get this photo of the fish that you caught. So that's why a lot of times when we go fishing, I don't even get video of it. I don't even get pictures of it. It's just simply like. I'm trying to get that creature, that animal, that life form back into the water as quickly as possible with as little harm to it as possible. And I mean, it's always best if you're traveling with someone or fishing with someone. Um, I actually came, across, uh, came upon keepfishwet.org. So it's a group of marine biologists that are avid fishermen that got together to create this, you know, kind of fishing tutorial. They have research articles on their website. I'll link to it in the show notes um, where they talk about, you know, the principles of how to make these fish survive better, right? So principle one is minimize air exposure. So when you're lifting a fish out of the water to take a photo with it, 
if you're going to do that, which don't necessarily recommend, you know, limit the time that you're lifting them out of the water and make sure they're over the water in case they flop out, right? Flop out of your hands and land on the ground. Now, they're living in an you know, ecosystem or, you know, in an environment where they're weightless. You're bringing them out of the water and now all of a sudden you're inflicting you know, forces to their bodies that they're not used to. So gravity, as you're holding them in your hand like this, even if you think you're being as gentle as possible, where your hand's being placed, you, their body weight is pushing down onto your hands and it could cause organ damage. Once again, we're talking strictly, you know, if you're doing catch and release. Is that so for trout? That's for trout, yeah. Yeah, because Very, for bass, the opposite, you know, they say, especially with bigger bass, you, you don't want to just, you know, lip it. They, they want you to hold the lip and hold your hand under the belly. Like, well, they're not saying don't don't hold them, right? They're saying you can hold them. Just be mindful of where your hands are. Like, I think right under their fins, their dorsal fins, like like that whole little section right there. If you put your hand there, you see pictures of guys holding fish, and they're like fatty, like these trout, fat falling over their hands. That means that their internal organs are now touching your hands for all intents and purposes. Right. So just be mindful of that. Um, and, you know, obviously you want to minimize the air exposure, right? Like keep them wet, keep them in the water, eliminate contact with dry surfaces because quite honestly, they they have this layer of slime on them. It's slime to us, but it's protective mucus and scales that protect them from disease. So when you have contact with them, if they're rubbing up against your shirt or rubbing up against your dry hand, or I see guys fishing with, you know, gloves on and they're handling the fish with the gloves on, take them off um, because what it does is it can remove the slime and the scales and that just makes them more susceptible to all sorts of problems, diseases, fungal infections. And then of course, um, you know, rubbing up against you out of the water can cause some sort of, you know, internal organ issues as well. And just reduce handling time, right? Like get them back in that water as quickly as freaking possible um, if you're releasing them. And that's it. I mean, you're trying not to handle them and make them stressed as much as possible. And of course, it's when you're fishing for them and you're reeling them in. The goal is to get them to you as quickly as possible. I like to play them out a little bit here and there. Trout, I typically don't do that with. Um, but, you know, Joe, you were, you were yelling at me about, you know, catching bass this summer and I, how quickly I get them to the boat. And then I'm just trying to, you know, yank them back onto the, onto the boat. But like, it really is you want to get them out of the water or in out of the hook as much as possible and as quickly as possible so that they could be on their merry little way. Um, I, you know, we'll link to this in the show notes. I just thought it was kind of important to talk I'm about. I'm not familiar with trout. They must be a, a more sensitive breed of fish, you know, because bass, I mean, there's, there's stuff we put in the live wells that help the, the bass slime coat and all that. And, and it keeps them well, but trout seem much more fickle to me. Than, than bass um but the same way with the big bass somebody catches a big bass and you know it's not a tournament they'll uh between taking pictures and stuff they'll put them in the water and get them going again and, and you know take them back out for a picture it's never really good to have them out for minutes upon minutes no but um for the most part the guys i'll fish with and women you know they treat the bass great and you know i've never really personally witnessed fish dying at these tournaments um I, I know there was one up in canada in 2019 where 200 smallmouth died but that was because of the handling by the tournament director and 
the way they were weighing the fish and what they were doing after weighing the fish. Um, like in our tournaments, we have a we have a, a special boat. So after you weigh the fish, they're in water and oxygen water the whole time. When you after you weigh the fish, you put them in the, the release boat, which is this big special boat and it's got live wells in there with aerated water and this that and, and they release them immediately. Well, the guy in Canada, what he did, he had he he was supposed to have a uh, a release boat, but he didn't. So he had like two fish tanks up there and he filled it with water and put all the bass in there. Well, that many bass in there killed all the oxygen and killed the fish. Um, the guy received a pretty big fine and a ban, a lifetime ban on fishing in that province. That was disturbing to see in here. It was a big name guy who, who was involved with the tournament and was the cause of it. And you know, when I read that story recently, I, I, I couldn't believe the handling procedures he allowed to happen there at the tournament. I mean, basically, like I said, he bought a, it sounds like he bought like a fish tank and just filled it up with water and just had all the guys put their fish in there. And at the end of the day, he was you know, going to re release them from the, the fish tank, but that's not how it works. You know, you have to have enough oxygen and all that in the water and it just killed 200 smallmouth. So. Uh, it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. So seasonal fishing is, you know, a whole other thing. Um, you know, I, I think it was across all types of fish that we fish for, um, from people fishing for, you know, winter striped bass and, you know, blackfish to, you know, us fishing for, um, for salmonoid type fish, uh, let's say, you know, specifically, uh, rainbow trout and, and brown trout up here in, in uh, the Northeast. Um, it, the fishing slows down. So does the fish and, you, you know, depending on the air temperature, you want to spend less time, uh, with fish in your hands as well. So on the flip side, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, the, the spending time with fish out of the water, you want to get them back in the water as, quick, as quickly as possible. In in the winter, you, it, it's, you know, you think, cause it's cooler, you can spend a little more time, but you can't, uh, cause fish can freeze. It's remember it's a, it's wet. And, uh, you know, you always see like, uh, in movies, uh, like I think grumpy old man off the top of my head where, uh, they get in the fight on the ice while they're ice fishing and they almost stab them with the frozen fish. And, you know, that, that's, that's the real thing. Fish freeze when they're in the air. Um, so that's just something else I wanted to mention as well. Um, you oh, know, hey, ocean. Go ahead. Funny story. Snakehead do not freeze. You can put them on ice <laughs> and take them home. And like eight hours later, they'll still be alive. Snapping away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's wow. a video of a guy who caught one in the bay just recently, not too long ago. And, you put it on ice to take it home to eat. And it was literally probably like eight hours later, he took it out of the ice. It was in his kitchen. The fish was still, still alive. Pretty crazy. Wow. No, I didn't know that. Brian, I, I think that's a, a good point, right? I think, um, you know, that kind of goes back to keeping them in the water as quickly as possible. I've been watching um, a lot of ice fishing videos, right? I, I'm hoping that it, drops down a little bit again. So maybe that the, <laughs> the lakes freeze over here in, in Jersey so that I can give it a whirl. But um, I watching them pull these fish out of the hole and then like the ones that they're keeping, they flop down onto the ice. That thing is rock solid within a minute. Like it, you do, you know, they'll be flopping around for minutes in the summertime, if not longer sometimes. Um, but in the wintertime, they definitely, um, I don't know, it's, air right cold it's science that's the way it works right Brian, when you're with bass in the winter they're 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 very lethargic and they'll lay down in the mud and won't move as much because of the cold temperatures 
Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Brian, what what is your go-to for trout in the wintertime, right? So I've been kind of trialing a few things and I've been meaning to talk to you about this, but uh, do you have a go-to pattern that you like flying, uh, fishing with when you're fly fishing? Yeah, so um, with, with, with trout, we... The common thought is the colder it is, the smaller you go. Um, so I, I typically use like a zebra midge. Um, I'm giving trade secrets away here, but uh, I'll do like a um, usually like a weighted bead ahead ahead of it, um, maybe a pheasant tail or a or a, um, a woolly bugger like we were talking about earlier. And then off that, I'll tie a, a midge, and basically that midge will just you know slow, slow drift. You know, you work super slow like you would in any other uh, you know fishing in the winter. Um, but that's been my go-to. Um, funny enough, you know, I would say most fish you catch when, when it's super cold will be on the woolly bugger still, at least for me. Um, but I think the midge pattern has a lot to do with the fish actually going in for the strike. I think it's just going for the bigger meal, which is the, you know, at that point it's the woolly bugger that looks like a leech. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much my go-to, um, you know, lighter tackle fish slower. I use longer, longer, uh, tapered leader. Um, I'll tie an extra, you know, five feet onto it. Um, whatever the smallest tippet I have and, uh, just fish slow. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point, right? Um, slow and that teaser, right. Where you're doing a dropper, um, you know, when you're going with a small nymph in general, you know, try and go as small as six X or seven X. That's, you know, typically the, the best way to do it because, you know, winter streams, typically this year has been super weird they're very low and very clear because the ice melt or the snow melt hasn't happened yet um but you know nymph fishing is awesome the name of the game this time of year but i still i just that that woolly bugger man it just my go-to and i went fishing during the snowstorm here a couple weeks ago right it was it two sundays ago now mm -hmm. and I was out there and I was doing, you know, this dropper and I had woolly bugger down to a zebra and I was just getting so frustrated. You know, number one, it's no matter how many times you spray your guides, it's still freezing up, right? No matter how many times your, your hands are getting cold, you're getting frustrated. Um, you just, yeah, I, I don't know. I agree with you, but I think that's a, all very good tips. Um, so, you know, I think we're coming up to a half hour here, guys, and uh, always a pleasure talking to you. We'll try and get another one recorded on Tuesday. Tuesday, um, the topic of conversation is going to be hiking. Nice. Um, so we'll give you some ideas for what it is we bring with us when we go hiking, what we look for when we go hiking, and how I think all of us, you know, Brian and I especially, try to avoid the the public at large when we do that and go off the beaten path um Always. joe you you used to enjoy some time outdoors i mean you're I outside did. now I, yeah unfortunately due to puppy circumstances i was not in front of my computer this time so next week i will be so all <laughs> good life all here. but yeah, yeah we, we like i said guys we try and our, we try our best to record and have everything up on wednesdays and fridays um, this week, kind of life got away from me. It was my fault. So um, here we are on Saturday. This will be up today. And we'll see you guys uh, next week. See you guys. Awesome. Take Good care. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later, brothers. Later. 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 Bye. Bye. All right. So that was the Hacker Outdoors podcast with Brian Hacker and Joey McCormick. 
If you like what you heard, please give us a rating on whatever platform you are listening to or watching this on. Please check the show notes for some links about the topics we discussed today. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.